called WAGS are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. And good evening and welcome into the Toasted Tavern. It's another wonderful St. Louis sports, not doubleheader, but tripleheader today because the Cardinals had not one but two games against the Mets. The Blues open against the Colorado Avalanche in game two of the Stanley Cup or round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs later on tonight. Plenty of stuff to talk about here. It's a bit of an abbreviated show tonight because uh, I got a chance to get back out on the rink after a couple of months off due to work. So I'm going to take advantage of that. But still plenty of stuff to talk about here to get you guys pumped up for tonight's Blues game and also, you know, kind of update you on uh, what's going on in the world of the St. Louis Cardinals. Before we get to that, though, Scott Tobin, man, how are you doing? We're we're set up for a couple of shows this week. We're going to see a lot of each other. Yeah, it's going to be weird. We haven't done that in a long time, man. People are going to be like, oh, my God, these guys are back again, really? But, oh, it's it's been good, man. Uh, Good week at the old ballpark last week and kind of getting a nice little break to refresh this week before a long homestand going into the holiday weekend next weekend, but everything's good, man. Enjoying the uh, wonderful St. Louis weather and uh, it's been good. And it's, it's great to be back with you, my friend. It, it certainly is good to be back with you as well. And yeah, we're, we're in a little bit better of St. Louis weather this week than we were last week. It was a bit brutal last week. I know for you downtown, it was probably horrible, uh, especially with a couple of those losses against the Orioles that the uh, the Cardinals had to suffer through. I got a chance to spend my time uh, over the weekend at Carshield Field out in O'Fallon playing uh, alongside you know guys like uh, James O'Sullivan and uh, T-Bone over at 101 ESPN. We got a chance to call uh, some Slyak baseball. I got a chance to see an epic game on Saturday, Webster versus Spalding, a game that went into extra innings, lead changes, a walk-off winner. It was just it was an incredible experience and getting a chance to sit alongside two super professionals and cannot forget about Tyler Rosen as well, another super great professional that I got a chance to work with as well over the weekend. Uh, just an amazing event, and it's, it's alive and well when it comes to baseball in this area. A lot of people can say it's dying or it's not as exciting as it could be. But I I challenge you, go out and watch some college baseball for sure, and uh, you'll see that it is definitely not as dying as it's supposed to be. Yeah, you know, people always get so over-exaggerated with that, but they've been saying baseball's dying since the 50s. So, you know, I I think we've proven that that's just in the eye of the beholder, but I think the game's in pretty good shape, honestly. I think so, too. Jeremy Gartner says the winner of this series between the Blues and Avalanche is going to represent the Western Conference in the finals. Uh, I think that is a very, very good possibility uh, because Calgary and Edmonton, while both very, very good teams, don't necessarily have the playoff pedigree that either the Avalanche or the Blues have. So it'll be an interesting series when that uh, become comes its way down here in a couple of weeks. But we'll get to hockey talk here in a little bit. Let's stick with the, uh, the Cardinals right now. Uh, Doubleheader today against the Mets yesterday. Rain in the forecast kind of pushed things back to today. And we're not doing those seven-inning doubleheaders right now. We're doing full nine innings right now. And uh, the Cardinals offense, after exploding on Sunday night baseball uh, against the Giants, really just uh, went away today in, in the afternoon game. Although Miles Michaelis pitched a very good game, the offense just couldn't do anything. And it's just something that we've seen with the Cardinals here the last couple of weeks where they have an offensive outburst. And then the next game, it's like it completely disappears. Like they used all the runs in the game before and now can't seem to score any runs. You know, just from you seeing the team being there and seeing some of these instances, is it something that it's, it's a mindset of this team? Or is it just really an anomaly that 
it just so happens that after a big game, they only can come out and score one, if not two runs that, that next game. Yeah, I mean, it's not a mindset. They're not They're not like, oh, man, we scored a bunch of runs last night. We don't need to do anything today. You know, it's just they've run into some really tough pitching, and the offense isn't the offense isn't kicking on all cylinders. You know, and a lot of people have said this over the last week, and it's very true. Until Tyler O'Neill really gets back into the swing of things, this offense is not going to be consistent because right now, you know, it's Goldie and Arenado, and that's pretty much it. Um, Yepes has done some stuff. Albert's had a couple of good games. Yachty's had a couple of good games. But, you know, Dylan Carlson's not done much. Tyler O'Neill's not done much. Tommy Edmonds' batting average is dropping like a rock. You know, he was hitting 320 10 days ago. It's 268 right now. So, I mean, he's in a slump. You know, the guys are just, you know, it's early season. Like you said, they've run into some tough pitching because you played the Giants a couple of times. You're in your second series with the Mets. You've had the Brewers. You played the Marlins. You've played, you faced some tough pitching. But uh, they've got to they've got to get guys like O'Neill and Carlson really going for this offense to really be consistent. Yeah, and Carlson has started to, to turn things around here the last week or so. He was uh, two for four in the first game today. Today, zero for two in the second game. So he's starting to turn it around just a little bit. And you're starting to you're seeing some of these guys come up, like a Yepes and even a, a Brendan Donovan, that have come up and and done some decent hitting as well. But for the most part, yeah, it's been a, a big struggle. Nolan Arenado started off hot. And has since cooled off. Uh, the three, four, five hitters in that first game today were a combined 0 for 12. And that was Arenado, Yepes, and Molina. They struck out five times, left four guys on base. And it wasn't just those three guys. I mean, the Cardinals as a whole struck out 13 times in the game today. Six of those credited to Trevor Williams, who, once again, is another one of those guys that you look at and you go, "Why? How is he a guy that's you know dominating a lineup in a sense, uh, coming over from Chicago?" But that is exactly what he did, and. It was, it's just, it's mind boggling how, you know, we, we saw a good stretch last year, that, that big winning streak. And, and then the Cardinals go out and they don't do a whole lot in the off season. Yes. They go out and get a Corey Dickerson and then they sign an Albert Pujols, but they don't really do anything big in the off season. Even the Stephen Matt signing is still a little bit, I wouldn't say up in the air. It, it's going to take more than a couple starts for us to judge that, but they really didn't improve on a team that struggled for most of the time last year and had to you know, go on that win streak just to get into the playoffs. And I think we're seeing that again this year. And it starts to make you question again, you know, as far as the you know management structure. I mean, are we looking at a, a hitting instructor issue? Is it something else completely? I mean, what is something that you're narrowing down this to possibly be? You can, you're not going to know the answer, obviously. But what, what are you looking at and saying, okay, this is something that we really should be fixing because we didn't fix it last year and it just took a big winning streak for us to forget about. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things you can look at. You can look at the fact that they're not hitting a lot of home runs. or Although the home runs have started to come a little bit down in the last week or so, I think they've hit a home run in 13 straight games now after having hit like one in 12 games. You know, part of it's the weather. You know, they played some really cool – the weather was unseasonably cool in April. You know, that affected some of it. I mean, you look around baseball – all. Pretty much every team's having the same issue. I mean, offense is down in ba- all around baseball. So, you know, I think we got to let that play out a little bit and see as the weather warms up if guys start to get going a little bit. I mean, you could look at the fact that spring training shortened. Did that affect some guys? Probably. Um, the weather's part of it. You know, like I said, good pitch. Oh, like you said, there have been some pitchers that shouldn't be dominating them that have. So we're just going to have to see what happens. Um, you know, it's just it, – it's a hard question to answer, 
but then you talk about the fact that they didn't go out and make a big splash in the offseason. And, you know, we all talked about, oh, man, we'd love to see them go get one of those big-name guys. But look at those big-name guys. None of them are doing anything. You look at the shortstops. They ran this stat during the first game. Baez, Correa, uh, uh, Trevor Story. Story. Yep. All of those guys. Nope. The highest batting average of any of those shortstops that got signed in this offseason is 245. Nobody has more than two home runs. Nobody has more than 13 RBIs. So none of those free agent shortstops are hitting. You know, guys like Kyle Schwarber, Kyle Schwarber's hitting under 200 in Philadelphia. Nick Castellanos has only hit three home runs in Philadelphia. I mean, the guys that people went out and spent money on aren't doing anything. So, I mean, you know, if the Cardinals had gone out and spent that money and those guys weren't doing anything, then fans would be complaining, oh, man, Moselak screwed up again. He threw the money at the wrong guy. So it's kind of a no-win situation in that aspect right now. Well, and you have to sit back and go, okay, it is still early in the season. Yes, there is a point where you have to say you can't say that anymore. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, we're not even 40 games into the season at this point. So it's still not even the quarter pole of the season. And and there's still time for this to come out. Like you said, spring training was short and guys are still trying to to work themselves into the, into a rhythm and all of that. So I understand that. And actually, you know, it kind of leads me into this point that I wanted to to talk about is, you know, Paul DeYoung and Tyler O'Neill. Both these guys have struggled. Paul DeYoung was hitting under 200 for a while. Tyler O'Neill is still hitting under 200 right now. The Cardinals sent Paul DeYoung down to the minors and he's down there playing for Memphis right now. And he's actually done decently well. He's, He's got a bunch of RBIs. He's starting to hit a little bit down there. Does it translate up here? Who knows? Because down there, your pitching is not all major league level quality pitching. So you got that. But sometimes you have to go down there and see that to kind of get yourself right. So you look at that. And if Dion can come back up and produce, then all of a sudden, all those question marks of, okay, well, why didn't we go sign a shortstop kind of go away? Because you've got already, you got a homemade shortstop that can do those things at a better price. On the other side of the coin, too, you have Tyler O'Neill. Same situation. Is he another one of those candidates that you know can try to be sent down to Memphis to try and get himself right a little bit? Because he will, he was great last year. He's a two-time Gold Glove winner. He he hit amazingly last year. His swing was shortened. Everything looked like was clicking for him. And this year, complete reversal, a, a one eighty. He's he just can't seem to connect on anything. So is that a sense where he needs to be sent down in the minors if he can to try and get himself right as well? They do have one more option on Tyler O'Neill, although from everything I've heard, it doesn't sound like that's something they're even considering at this point. You know, one thing I will say, it was funny. He The first game today, he was 0 for 3. He struck out three times. And then he bats in the ninth inning against the Mets closer and hits a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and hits a rocket in the left field. So I think Tyler O'Neill, I mean, when you look at it, it's just it's, there's something in his timing that's just a little bit off. You know, I, I don't think there's a big problem there. I think, you know, I think there's just a little something that he just has not been able to get his timing down yet. I think it's coming. I'm not too worried about him. I don't think it's going to be a Paul Paul DeYoung thing where, you know, two or three years from now we're going, man, what happened to that one year that Tyler O'Neill had? I think, I think when we get into June and July, I think you'll see him take off. And if you remember last year, you know, he wasn't good in April last year either. He was bad. He got hurt. You know, he missed a good amount of time. And then towards the middle or the end of May is when he really took off and hit seven or eight home runs, like in a week and a half. And then he didn't stop hitting after that. So I still think there's time for him to figure it out and get it going before this season's over. Well, and I just want to not necessarily correct us, but 
you know, just t- taking a look at what Paul DeYoung's down, done down in AAA. Uh, a couple days ago, RedbirdRants.com posted that uh, this this stat line. He'd only played three games at this point, but he was hitting 154 with three RBIs and 14 plate appearances. So not you know earth shattering numbers. Not the oh immediately we got to bring him back up. But once again, if he's starting to see things, and maybe over the next couple of games or so, you start to see that batting average rise. Maybe it is a an indicator that he might be on his way back. But as of right now, it's still a little bit of the same when it comes to Paul DeYoung. We'll see if that's something that can turn around because this team needs somebody at that shortstop position that's able to hit. And the fact that Tommy Edmond hasn't even seen any action over at shortstop since the demotion is, I mean, a little troublesome in a sense. I think we all thought that th- there was a reason why Edmond hadn't been moved to shortstop in the first place anyway. And we can see right now that he's not going to be moving over there uh, at any point in time, which means Nolan Gorman is going to be staying down in the minors as well, which may not be a bad thing for him. Continue to get him the, the the confidence and the experience because, yes, he's hitting a ton of home runs, but he's also striking out a lot. So the Cardinals kind of have to balance that as well. You don't want to shatter the guy's confidence if he comes up here and strikes out a bunch and doesn't hit a home run uh, after the hot start he's had down in Memphis. So it, it's, it's one of those things where it's a wait-and-see approach. It's just a matter of how long can this team wait and see before they start to make some changes. Well, I think they're. I think they're, Brendan Donovan's buying him some time because he's playing really good shortstop and he's getting on base and he's hitting the ball really well. So I think that's bought him time. And you know, for all the people crying and whining that they want Tommy Edmond at shortstop and Nolan Gorman up here, it's not going to happen. Tommy Edmond's not going to shortstop. It's not going to happen. Cardinals have no interest in doing that. And you know, listening to Michael Gersh today on the radio, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to see Nolan Gorman anytime soon. Um, I don't think, you know, and our friends over at one hundred and one, Alex Ferrario and Alex Ferrario and Brandon Kelly were talking about this today that you know maybe it's better for him to spend some time up there. And I don't know that I agree with this, but they said you know if it takes a couple more years for Nolan Gorman to be ready, they're okay for that with that. If it's twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five before he gets here and he's ready to hit at that point, they're good. I'm not sure that I'm ready to say I'm okay with Nolan Gorman being three years before he gets here. Um, I mean, I know he's only 21 and we, everybody has to remember that because we've been talking about him. You know, people forget, you know, he got drafted out of high school. So we've been talking about him since before he was 18. So it seems like he should be a lot older than he really is. But, uh, you know, I I think it is going to be, you know, I, a week or so ago, I had said I thought he'd be here by the end of May. I don't I think that anymore. I think it's going to be – I think it may be after the All-Star break, if at all, this year, honestly, yeah. the, way the, the way the Cardinals seem to be slow playing this. And it, it makes sense. He's hitting 282 right now. He does have the 14 home runs, but he struck out 49 times in 124 plate appearances. So just a shade under you know, half of his at-bats he's striking out in. So he, he's boom or bust. And, and on a team that has a ton of boom or bust – capability right now adding another piece in there a young piece that maybe if he comes in here and busts and his confidence is broken that could be a really bad thing for the future because he is a guy that this team is planning on playing here in the future and you know you want to pair him with the Dylan Carlson's and the Andrew Kisner's and these guys that are coming up in you know at this point in time so I'm like I'm like you I don't know if I can wait another three years for a guy like Nolan Gorman to get up here but the longer he doesn't play this year, I'm okay with because he still needs to continue to get that experience and get that confidence and that consistency before he comes up here and really tries to prove himself. 
Yeah, and you know, like you said, he's striking out a ton at AAA. He comes to the major leagues, he's going to strike out even more because pitchers are that much better, and they're going to see what his weaknesses are. And nobody's going to throw him a fastball. It's going to be off-speed, 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 which is what he's really struggling with right now. So, yeah, the longer he can stay in the minors, the the better it is for him, the better that uh, he can progress and get better. And the longer the Cardinals are able to keep him down there is a good sign, too, because it means that this offense is starting to come around and the offense is starting to make some noise right now in this ballgame as we're speaking. Yeah, because the uh, the Mets were up 2-1, to one, uh pair of home runs by the Mets. Uh, Canha and Escobar hit home runs to give them a 2-1 lead. Well, Paul Goldschmidt has driven in all three runs today. Uh, drove in Brendan Donovan in the top of the fourth, and now he's driven in Edmund and Donovan in the top of the fifth with another RBI double. So like you said earlier, Paul Goldschmidt, one of those guys that is continuing to hit for this team. And the, you know, right now it's still second and third as the bases were loaded at, at that point. And Dylan Carlson, once again, another guy that needs to kind of continue to get going is up at the plate trying to add to this Cardinals lead. And here, here's a, a stat that I wanted to throw at you as well. And, and one that is actually making it look like the Cardinals may have an opportunity to win this game. Uh, at the start of this game, they were talking about how many runs per game a team, the, the, the Cardinals scored in wins versus losses. Well, in wins, the, the Cardinals have scored an average of six and a half runs. In losses, it's just 2.1. We're at three now. So if you get in on those, you know, those betting sites and you're trying to get those parlays going and you got a chance to bet in game, bet that the Cardinals are going to win because they've already gone over their average for runs in a loss. So they're going to win this game. Um, it's good to see that the, the bats are kind of waking up here in game two, maybe because they're you know more accustomed to playing at night anyway, but uh, nice to see that the, that Goldschmidt is actually kind of carrying this team right now. Yeah. You know, he got off, to, you know, he had such a good spring and then he got off to such a slow start, but you know, like we always say, don't worry about it. Cause Paul Goldschmidt's going to be Paul Goldschmidt by the time it's done. And, and the last three weeks, he's just been on absolute fire. So that's fun to watch. And, uh, you know, I think this team's going to be okay. As much as we complain about it, they're only two and a half games behind Milwaukee. You know, they had a really good series against the Giants. They won the season series against the Giants, which are a good ball club again. And, you know, we need to go back and talk about that Sunday night game just for a couple of minutes because, yes. you know, the offense absolutely exploded in that one. They jumped one of the best pitchers in baseball so far this season. Carlos Rodon in that first inning, you know, what three pitches in the Cardinals were up two nothing when Goldie hit the home run into Big Mac Lane on Sunday night, but you know the Cardinals had some big moments in that game. Yachty and Wayno became the winningest pitcher catcher combo in Major League history, and then something that a lot of people don't realize and it hasn't been talked about as much as it should. It was kind of a fun moment, and everybody joked and laughed in the ninth inning when Albert Pujols went out there and pitched. Do you know that Albert Pujols made history that night? Yeah. There are only two players now in the history of Major League Baseball that have hit 600 home runs and pitched at least one inning in a game in Major League Baseball. Albert Pujols and Babe Ruth. If he's not the man, somebody is seriously mistaking what the man can actually be. You know, and it was fun because he was having so much fun out there, you know, just laughing. At, I mean, everybody was having fun with it, but I mean, he was having so much fun and then did you see Wayno's message to him the next day about, hey, don't feel bad because I gave up home runs in my first game, too? And, you know, those guys are just, Yanni and Albert and Wayno are having so much fun. And to see the three of them have such a huge game on national television, you know, Yanni had four RBIs, hit a home run. You know, like I said, him and Wayno set the record. And then Albert was on base five times in that game and drove home a couple of runs. 
I mean, it, it was that was a fun game because a lot of times the Cardinals don't play well on Sunday night baseball, but they absolutely made the Giants look like a minor league team on Sunday night. Well, Wainwright had five. Uh, he took a no hitter into the fifth, two outs in the fifth before he gave up his first hit. And you want know, you want to talk about having fun? Not only that, but the Giants, in a sense, were having fun as well. Because you see what Evan Longoria did yeah, after oh yeah. he after he got the hit off of Pujols, the first hit off of him. He he got the ball. He wanted the ball. Which if that right there doesn't tell you a respect and b the fact that even in the heart and the heat of the moment a team that's losing that bad can see the joy in baseball and have fun with that that right there you have to give credit and kudos to the giants for taking it on the chin but still having a good attitude about it and not letting it get all feisty like oh i don't know some team from new york named the mets i mean what right yeah no it it was definitely fun and i'm sure the giants realized too that there was a little bit of history going on there i'm sure that's why part of the reason why Lingoria wanted that ball so, but yeah, it, it was a neat game. You know, the fans were having a lot of fun. It, it was just a fun night, Sunday night at the ballpark. Yeah, we had gotten back from Hamilton and we were uh, waiting in uh, in, in a restaurant to, to get seated. The whole family was out. It was nuts and insane. But that, that, that helped take some of that out of that was being able to watch that one and be like, man, another run, another run, another run, another run. Keep it going. Keep it going. I think Something along like I think every starter in that game had at least one hit in the game yeah. as well. And once again, it just goes back to like the cyclical, like you have a, a massively good game. People are feeling good about themselves. Guys are getting on base. They're getting hits. And then you come into game one today and it's kind of like, here we go again. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny, too. I don't know. You said you were in a restaurant. Harrison Bader was mic'd up. And I know. Bader, I missed that. Harrison Bader was hilarious during that game. At one point, you know, they were playing some of the highlights of some of his comments, and he got a hit, I don't know, in like the sixth or seventh inning, and Albert was on second and went to third and didn't score. And Bader, they literally caught Bader on video talking to Stubby Clap, and he's like, I know the guy's like 55 years old, but he realizes RBIs are what gets you paid this league, right? You know, just him and Stubby were cracking up, and it was just like, oh, my God, he's funny. He is. He, he really is a, a, a laugh. And I think even today he was talking a little bit on uh, on Valley Sports Midwest before game two about some things. And yeah, he's just a very personable, happy, go lucky guy and really, really funny. So it, it's nice to see once again, somebody with, with personality on this team. And he, he reminds me a lot of, of the Cardinals from the eighties. You know, you had the Vince Coleman's and guys like that, that knew what they could possess in a game, had the arrogance, the confidence, the, the humor, and yet they were still a little bit humble about things as well. So it's, it's a nice like throwback to the 80s for sure. Yeah, definitely. He definitely plays the game that way for sure. And we have to shout out uh, Brendan Donovan as well. Congratulations to him. I don't know if everybody saw the pictures or not. He got engaged to his longtime girlfriend in Times Square last night. So the rainouts uh, didn't get the Cardinals a win yesterday, but it did get Brendan Donovan a win as well. He and his, uh, his now fiance uh who's at the game tonight congratulations to them it was really really cool uh to see that happen uh and here's another thing and i and this was something that kind of i think got it's not going to get talked about it's not okay we know jack flaherty's still a little ways off from coming back we'll talk about alex reyes here in just a second but jack flaherty basically tweeted out uh, about the the new york liberty he wanted their game moved to last night so he could go watch it and we still don't get enough of male athletes helping to try and promote women's sports and women's games. And uh, just once again, another big shout out to Jack Flaherty for trying to do that, to, to support that and be there for, you know, women's sports in a time where 
a lot of that stuff is now getting pushed to the side and, and women's rights are, are fundamentally being challenged right now T- to see a professional athlete, one that has some pull and some magnitude here, being able to support that. It, it's something that needs to be applauded and something that needs to be done more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People forget that Jack Flaherty is even around. We don't, we don't see or hear a whole lot about him, which kind of interesting. Uh, wasn't he supposed to be back in like a month? Because yeah. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I heard somebody say like, two days ago that it's going to be at least a month before he really even starts ramping it up to uh, his rehab program. So I'm starting to think we're not going to see Jack Flaherty this season. Uh, We probably won't see him. And I don't think we'll at at, at all see Alex Reyes this year as he's been set back again with some more stuff due to his injury. You got to feel for the guy. He's gone through so much, uh, a lot, some of it maturity, some of it injury, he really seemed to have turned the corner as well and was really dedicating himself to getting into the, the right shape and being someone that this team could rely on. And to see him set back once again, you just you really do feel for the guy and you hope that things start to turn around so that he can get a chance back here in St. Louis to really flourish and be the guy that we want to see. Um, but are we getting close to the point where maybe a change of scenery might be something Alex Reyes needs because it hasn't gone the way anybody has predicted it for him. And I want him to be successful. Yes, I want it to be here. But I also want him to just be successful in general. And if that means going somewhere else, I hate to see it. But is that something that might be in the realm of possibility? It's going to be really interesting. He's got one more year of arbitration. He made $2.8 million this year. You know, he's going to be arbitration eligible next year. So, you know, if he doesn't pitch this year, you know, he's it's going to be another $2 million, maybe $3 million next year. Do the Cardinals do that and take the shot that we're going to get him back? Or do you do you say, okay, maybe we do need to move on? You know, the only problem with that is, like you said, Alex Reyes is so unbelievably talented that you would hate to say, okay, we're just not going to take – we're just not going to pay him and risk that and let him go somewhere. And then all of a sudden he is able to stay healthy for four or five years and you get the Alex Reyes that we saw – for three quarters of the year last year before he just kind of wore down because he hadn't pitched that much. But I mean, people have to remember how unbelievably dominant Alex Reyes was for the majority of the season last year. I mean, he set the record last year for most consecutive saves. Um, You know, so I'm with you. I want to see him succeed, but I definitely want to see it happen with the Cardinals. I'm not ready to give up on him yet. Yeah, I think with the the depth this team has, they don't have to rely on him. So let him get healthy and, and get back. And Nolan, Good to see you, man. How you doing? Uh, things are going good here. The Cardinals are winning three to two after falling in game one, three to one. So things are going a little bit better there. Uh, but now, now let's flip over and talk about the the big elephant in the room, and that's the Blues and the Avalanche beginning tonight because it is it's starting at a pretty decent time, right? Let me hold on. Uh, Eight thirty again. God, yeah, yes. The Blues and Avalanche starting at, well, what's probably going to be 8.50 tonight because we're on national TV. Game one of their second round series beginning in Colorado tonight. Blues coming off the six-game victory against the Wild. Avalanche swept the Predators. They haven't played since the, the 9th of May. They have been off for a very, very long time. And maybe the Blues can get lucky and catch a bit of a rusty Avalanche team. Uh, and maybe shock them in, in game one, and which would be great because that's what they did against Minnesota. They were able to steal a game up there. And I feel like the Blues, they don't have to come back home with a 1-1 split, but I would feel a lot better if they came back home for Saturday night's tilt being you know split 1-1. It's, it's a dangerous Colorado team. We've seen it this year. The Blues are 1-2 against them this year. 
Uh, it's not going to be a fun series, but I think it could go deep. Oh, I think it's going to go deep. I disagree with you, though. I think they do have to win one of these games in Colorado. I don't think you can come home 0-2 and think that you've got a chance to win this series. I think if if, it, if they come home 0-2, the series might be over quickly. Uh, I, I think they've got to win one of these. If they win one in Colorado, I think it goes six or seven. If Colorado wins both, it may be over in four. I mean, because the Blues will just be like, oh, man, here we go again. It's a repeat of last year, and Colorado will have so much momentum. So I think you really do need to win one of those games. And we cannot, cannot, cannot get swept by a Stan Kroenke team. Can't happen. We can't. I'll say this. It, it kind of depends on, on how they would lose those two games. You know, I mean, if they're blowouts, if they're like they were last year where it's just like they severely outplay us, they just dominate everything. Yeah, I would agree with you. They very likely coming down home, coming home down 0-2 would get swept and it just feel terrible. But if, if if they hold them, if it's a if it's one nothing games or two to one games, and and Jordan Binnington plays well, and the team's just getting chances and chances and chances, just just can't seem to finish. I, I feel a little bit better because you got to remember this is this is altitude. Colorado's in altitude. It's a short series anyway, seven right. games. It, it's going to be hard to acclimate. So I'm not. I, it just depends on how those games go before you can say if I'm worried or not if they come home 0-2. Let's just forget about it and just win the first game and not even have to think about it. But you're going up against a team that 5.25 goals per game in the playoffs this year. That's first in the in the NHL with the teams that are in the playoffs. They were fourth in the regular season at 3.76 goals per game in the regular season. But here's the, here's the fun stat uh, and, and the thing that makes me go, okay, it's either going to go the Blues way or it's going to go epically wrong for the Blues. Colorado has not advanced past the second round since. When do you think the last time they made it out of the second round? It's been a while. Has it been Has it been all the way back to the Patrick Wadis? Has it been that long? 2002 was the last time that they had advanced to the conference finals. So this is a team that's had the talent the last couple of years that has not been able to get out of that second round. So the Blues could come in and and really seize on that and say, okay, hey, you know, you, you haven't been there. We're gonna we've been there. We've won a cup. Let's show you what we can do. Or it's gonna be Colorado's time to finally break through, and the Blues are gonna get embarrassed, and they're gonna go, fuck, what happened? Because they've got talent. Nathan McKinnon, seventy five points in fifty four playoff games. He scored in all four games against Nashville. Kale McCarr leads the team with 10 points, three goals, seven assists in the playoffs right near right now. 16 of 19 skaters recorded a point in that series against Nashville. They're playing at a high level. And here's the other thing. During the regular season, McCarr, McKinnon, Landeskog, those guys didn't lead the team in scoring against the Blues this year. JT Comfer, Nazim Kadri were their top two point getters in those games. So their big guys didn't do anything against us, and they still beat us in two of the three games that we played this year. So it's going to go one of two ways. Either this Blues team is going to show up the way that they did at the end of that Minnesota series, or they're going to get blown out of the water. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting, and I think we're going to know a lot in this first game. I think we'll have a really good idea of how it's going to go. I mean, I know you can't take everything out of one game, but I think you're going to get a pretty good feel for how – how competitive the Blues are going to be at this game tonight. And a lot of people, and this is something that's kind of driving me nuts a little bit, is you know you get a lot of these teams that, or a lot of these analysts that will go, okay, well, look what the Blues have done this year versus look at what Colorado's done this year. And they never really necessarily compare what the two teams did against each other. 
I mean, they'll throw up, oh, this guy scored this many goals or what have you. But they really don't dig down deep into what these two teams did against each other, which could spell which way this series goes. And this, this is the really, really crazy thing to me. In the three games that the Blues and Avalanche played this year, the Avalanche's power play, 9.1%. The Blues absolutely shut down that power play. And their penalty, the Avalanche power uh, penalty kill, 71.4%. The Blues really did take advantage of the special teams aspect of the game. And they've been doing very, very well right now. The Blues have you know, scored a power play goal in every single game of that series against Minnesota. And they've been one of the best power play and PK teams the entire season in the entire league. So, you know, people are will come into the series saying, oh, the Blues have to get it to special teams in order to win. That was based on the full year. But if you really break down the numbers, it's actually 100% true against Colorado. The numbers have borne it out. They have been dominant in special teams play. And yeah, this is the playoffs. Things change. But I think that is what the Blues have to do. If they want to win the series, Colorado's got to take a bunch of penalties. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's going to be a huge key. I was kind of looking at some of those numbers too. So I, I think if that could happen, you know, like you said, the blues can definitely be dominant in that area. I, I think so. 100%. And they got to get their top guys going as well. I mean, Tarasenko had five goals. O'Reilly had five goals. Perron had five goals in this series. They, they, they really came alive in those last three games. O'Reilly's on a four game goal scoring streak. He and Brett Hall, are the only two blues players to have multiple four game goal streaks in the playoffs, uh, O'Reilly did it back in the Stanley Cup winning days uh, in 2019, and then this year as well. So uh, that's a pretty pretty nice uh, feather in your cap. You talk about Pujols and Babe Ruth; it's not the same level, but O'Reilly and Hall being on the same level is really good as well. And Jordan Bennington, after he came in in Game uh, Three, uh, sorry, Game Three, yeah, Game yeah. Three. Uh, he was 3-0, 1.67 goals against, 943 save percentage in the first round. Sorry, game four. Uh, save percentage in the first round. So it looks like he might be back. He has struggled against Colorado, though. Uh, this year, he was 1-2, 3.78 goals against, 897 save percentage. He was horrific against them last year in that four-game sweep, although he did do a lot to keep that team in that series somehow. So I, it's, it's going to be really interesting, like you said, to see how this first game goes, to see what Jordan Bennington we're going to get and what Blues team we're going to get as well, because it's not just a matter of which team you're going to get. It's how they're going to be lined up. They won those games against Minnesota playing with 11 forwards and 7 D-men. They're set up to do the same thing against Colorado, although it's not officially confirmed that that's what Coach Barube is going to do. Do you feel like they're going to roll with the 11-7 to start off, or do you think he's going to go more conventional to start things in game one? I think he's going to go with the 11-7. It worked in the Minnesota series. I think I don't think you should change it. I think you go with it until it, it – it's not broke, don't fix it kind of a mentality. I think that's the way you go. Um, so I think that's where you're going to go with that. Let me ask you this real quick, going back to Jordan Bennington for a second. Yeah. So, like you said, Bennington struggled against Colorado last year. He's not played great against him this year. If he goes out tonight and looks bad, if they line him up, do you go back to Huso? Whew. I mean, Barubi's been great at, at reading uh, everything, you know, lineup, goaltending, everything like that. I think if he gets lit up, yeah, you go right back, you go right to Huso. I mean, you, you don't have the ability uh, to lose multiple games. And I know I said that I would be okay if they came back home two to no, down 0-2. But if you get blown out, absolutely destroyed in game one, that does change the perspective. <laughs> Uh, so you can't, I mean, you can't, you have to, you have to go back, you have to go to Huso and see what you can get out of him and try to steal that win. 
Um, I, it's it's Bennington's net to lose. It really is. But if he goes out and once again gets lit up again, I think you have to make the quick switch and just you know continue to try and ride the hottest goalie that you have. If Philly Huso goes out and you know wins game two and pitches a shutout or gives up just the one goal, then yeah, you keep running with Huso and see how it goes. But um, that, that's where the Blues are a bit in trouble. They 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 have to get good goaltending, and if they don't get it, it doesn't matter what the offense does. You're you're not going to survive in a series against the Avalanche. You're not going to outscore them despite the fact that the, the the disparity between the two teams isn't as large as people think it is, but Colorado is just so freaking scary. Yeah, and, you know, the goaltenders are going to be huge. The Blues' defense in general is going to be huge. The D guys have to step up and really play well. And, you know, that's going to be a big key to this series, like you said, because Colorado is so explosive. The defensive end of the Blues' game is going to be huge. Well, Tori Krug, Marco Scandella still out. Now, they did both travel with the team, which might indicate that they – have a possibility of playing in this series, which is something I don't think either anybody thought about either player. I, from what I heard, Krug is probably done for the playoffs, possible ACL issues, but who knows? There's nothing has come out on that. And the fact, once again, that they're traveling with the team, it's either a smoke screen to make Colorado think maybe they're coming back or it's possible that they do come back. But I will say this, and, and my brother has been very sour on the Tory Krug deal ever since it was signed. Uh, because of his size, and as soon as Krug got hurt, he looked at me and he goes, I told you this was going to happen. This is exactly what was going to happen. He was He's too undersized. He was going to get injured. This is how things are going to go. I honestly feel like Tory Krug missing this series may not be a bad thing. If the Blues do advance, you know, him coming back against Calgary or Edmonton possibly might be okay. But I don't think Tory Krug needs to play in this series for the Blues to be successful. And I feel like they, they shouldn't want him to play in this series uh, to be successful because you've got bigger bodies in the Mikola and the Pareko that can come out there and do the heavy damage. And then you've got a guy like Scott Perunovich that can be that seventh guy that fills that Tory Krug role of quarterbacking the power play, being a guy that can move the puck because we saw that happen. Games four, five, and six, he came in, quarterback the power play, got two power play assists in those games. So you've got a guy there that can take that spot. Let Krug rest up. If he is a guy that could play this postseason. hold him off as long as you can, you, you know, don't let him go out there against a high powered Colorado team and maybe risk getting injured again, make sure he's hundred percent healthy and then bring him back for the final, the conference finals. If you get that far. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, I think you're right. I think with Perinovich, I think the fact that you've got him, they can kind of fill that role, kind of the same type of player as Krug really kind of lessens the blow of him not being there as well with your power play and running that kind of thing. So game one tonight, uh, it's a big, big first game for the Blues for sure. So you said this series is going to go deep. What is your prediction for Blues Avalanche? I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I'm, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to say the Blues win it. I'm going to say it goes the full seven, man. I think it's going to – I think if they win, it's going to go seven games. And, and that, I'm going to believe right now that they're going to pull this off. So I'm going to go Blues at seven. And that would be a game seven win in Colorado, which would be the best middle finger to Stan Kroenke for sure. Even though he doesn't really care about the Avalanche, it would be a great middle finger to, for the Blues to go in there and win game seven on Colorado's ice. That would be great. Um, I'm, I'm trying to stay optimistic as, as well. I, I do think this series can and probably will go seven. Um, I just feel like, Colorado at at home in the altitude might be a bit too much. And I've I've got Colorado in seven, 
Um, I'm hoping against hope that I'm wrong. And I'm hoping that by picking against the blues that they do decide to end up winning this series. I'd be fine with that. I'd be 100% fine being wrong in this series, but I, I just feel like th- this Colorado team is just so loaded. And the fact that Darcy Kemper is coming back, that's, that's going to be the one thing you talk about the blues goaltending Colorado's goaltending is a little bit suspect too. Kemper had the eye injury against Nashville. It is Darcy Kemper too. He, he, confounded us when he played in Arizona. So he's a great matchup for Colorado against us. And then you got Frank House or Francis or whatever, however you say his name, their backup is kind of an unknown as well. Uh, This could be a very, very high scoring series, surprisingly. So you might see more six, five games and you do see two, one games and, you know, usually playoff games are lower scoring scoring. So that could be a part of, uh, of how this plays out as well. So I'm going Colorado in seven. Hopefully, I am wrong for sure. Uh, other game going on tonight in the NHL, you got the Battle of Florida. Tampa and Florida going at it. 1-1 here in the second. The uh, Lightning just scored a power play goal. Corey Perry from Nikita Kucherov. So you've got the Battle of Florida. You've got the Battle of Alberta between Calgary and Edmonton. And then you've got the Blues in Colorado, which is obviously a huge central battle. That's the Crocky Bowl. Uh, and then you've got Rangers and Hurricanes. Uh, there's really nothing there to, to like, I think Brady, Brady, Shea, Brady Shea is like the only connection between the two teams. Uh, so there's really nothing like no animosity in that series. Uh, that one could be a lot of fun as well. I've got Carolina winning that one. I've got, uh, Tampa beating Florida in that series. And then I've got Calgary beating Edmonton. Uh, so you're going to have Colorado, Calgary, and Carolina Tampa are my uh, conference finals. We'll see how that plays out. Um, either I'll be honest, any any of these teams that do advance, I think you're going to get great conference finals in the NHL. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun if the uh, NHL – blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't that be fun? That if would. The, if the finals end up being the Blues going back and then you end up playing Tampa Bay and you have Pat Murray going for another one against the Blues – that would be fun in St. Louis. You know, the NHL never really likes those uh, Midwestern stories, but that one is probably one that they're looking at going, okay, that might be a good one. Because they are gonna, they know they're going to get the viewership from St. Louis for sure, because we showed that in 2019. Right. So it's not like viewership is going to suffer. It's a great storyline. St. Louis going to try and win another cup, going up and trying to deny the hometown hero who helped win that first cup for the Blues, trying to win his fourth straight. I mean, that would be, I think of all storylines, That's that's got to, I mean, outside of, of a Canadian team being in the finals to try and win a, a Stanley Cup for Canada and God knows how long, I, I got to say that that's probably the second best storyline that the NHL could hope for, right? I would think so. You know, and who, who would have thought, you know, almost four years ago now when everybody in St. Louis was ready to run him out of town at the trade deadline, who would have thought that Pat Murray would be going for his fourth straight Stanley Cup championship? Uh, I don't think he might would have expected it or predicted it, but the fact that he was able to go to Tampa uh, probably made it a little bit more likely that he, he would at least get another one. But the fact that he's now going for four straight, incredible story. He's not the guy that's making it happen in Tampa, but he's along for the ride and does what he needs to do. He's doing exactly what he did here in St. Louis. Yeah, he's, he's got, aggravating. Yeah, and he has his big moments here and there. You know, and so yeah, he's a big part of, like you said, he's not the star, but he's still a big part of those teams because he does the little dirty things in front of the net and does things to create things for other players, and it is fun. That so, he does. 
So real quick, I'm going to jump subjects before we get out of here. Have you seen the reports, the NFL reports about the Raiders in St. Louis that came out late last week? I, I saw that there was stuff that came out. I didn't get a chance to actually read it, but uh, it, it seems like there's a lot of interesting tidbits in that. Apparently St. Louis was awfully close to ending up with the St. Louis Raiders. The NFL was going to take the Raiders away from Mark Davis. They were going to create a new ownership group, possibly some St. Louisans in it. And uh, yeah, the Raiders would have been St. Louis had not somehow Vegas come up with a proposal that ended up stealing the moment at the last second. But yeah, we were apparently really, really close to having the Raiders in St. Louis. I mean, that would have been interesting for sure. I just, man, I don't know if we're ever going to see an NFL team back here in St. Louis. I don't think that's going to happen now. I I just, I feel like with the settlement that has come down that we still don't really know where the money's going um, or if it's ever actually been paid. Um, It's been paid. It's been paid. City and county just can't decide what to do with it. Fighting over what they're doing. They're literally, you know, half of that, almost half of that money went to lawyers. They're fighting amongst themselves so much that they're talking about hiring more lawyers to decide how to divide it because they can't. It's, you know, and that was the big thing that a lot of people said we needed a football team because city, the way the city and the county fight, the money's not going to get put to good use, and, and it's gonna they're gonna windle it away fighting over it, and uh, yeah. nothing's gonna happen. That's exactly what uh, that's exactly what's gonna happen. Uh, yeah, gotta lo- gotta love uh, city county battles and then the fact that no one can agree anything politics at its best for sure ah okay so we're gonna let that slide off uh one other positive note tonight uh we don't talk about it enough uh the nba playoffs are starting tonight as well st louis has a representative in the field and that's jason tatum uh his celtics were able to win two straight games against the defending champion bucks to punch their ticket to the eastern conference finals they get underway tonight against the miami heat uh that's gonna be a fun fun series i mean it's playoff playoff NBA basketball is hit and miss sometimes. Obviously, uh, we saw how the Phoenix Suns bowed out by losing by 40 to the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, but I think the Celtics Heat series is going to be one to definitely keep an eye on and watch because you're going to have some really, really good games. That one's actually uh, just getting underway. Yeah, both of those game sevens were about the worst game on Sunday were about the worst game sevens in any sport. Milwaukee didn't really show up other than Giannis. And like you said, whatever happened, what happened in Phoenix? I, I that was you're never going to see that happen again. I mean, no. that was that was brutal. There's no other way to put it. A Rod was falling asleep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that that should be fun. You got Golden State and Dallas getting underway on uh, on Wednesday. That's going to be a, an interesting series as well. I'm definitely. I know you're pulling for Golden State in a sense because you really want to see those guys get another shot at a title. I'd really love to see Luca get into a, a, an NBA final series. I'd love to see Dallas and Boston go at it again. Uh, you got Tatum and Doncic going against each other. That'd be a lot of fun. Although Boston Golden State would be a, a fun one as well. And you can't discredit what Miami's doing too. No. So all four teams in the NBA, uh, I, I'd be interested and excited to see what they what they bring in the finals if they get there. Yeah, I guess we got to give Eric Spolster some credit now. Everybody joked about him being a head coach when he had the big three in Miami, but he's had a pretty good run down there. He really has. I mean, Van Gundy, Stan Van Gundy was the same way. I mean, when he had Shaq down there with D Wade, you know, he he got the oh, you got Shaq, blah blah blah. He he had a very good career as well. Not so much as of late, but he he was a good coach. And you can say the same thing about Eric Spolstra. He's just they trusted him and they stuck with him. And that's the thing 
when you stick with a coach through the lean times, which Miami did go through some lean times, that right there shows you a lot. And they put it there, they put their trust in him. He put his trust in them. And now we're seeing the fruits of that labor. And eventually, who knows, maybe it could lead to another championship with a team that doesn't have a big three. Yeah, they really don't. I mean, it's Jimmy Butler and a bunch of guys, really. And Jimmy Butler, I mean, he's a guy that is a deserving candidate for an NBA championship. Everything that he has been through, uh, that would be another another storyline to watch as well. So plenty of stuff going on in the world of sports, especially locally. Cardinals up 3-2 still against the Mets in Game 2. Blues and Avalanche getting in away here in about an hour. Uh, but uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, 49 minutes we were able to talk about St. Louis sports. You got anything else before we head out, Scott? Uh, I think we're good tonight. Just uh, everybody enjoy the end of this Cardinal game, and let's get ready for the uh, Blues and see what happens here tonight. Yeah, and we'll be back tomorrow to recap game one, as well as the Cardinals in match. We'll have live updates. if that is that tomorrow afternoon game? I haven't even looked at that. Uh, it's a night game tomorrow. Okay, Thursday's well, we'll have live updates for that from that game as well. So make sure you come back and join us tomorrow night here on the Toasted Tavern. For Scott Tobin, I am Wags. Have a great night. Enjoy the game. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.